This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 67. Uh, and with me from Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hi, uh, Varun Mather in New Delhi. Hi, Varun. Hello. Johan Edebo in uh, Sweden. Good afternoon. Uh, you're in the, back in the north, right? Yeah, far, far yeah. north. Yeah. Uh, Rob. Uh, Snyder in Malmo, the south of Sweden. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. And Hiroyuki Hamada in Long Island. Uh, hi, hi, John. Hiroyuki. How you doing? I'm good, and I am here in um, kind of sunny uh, Norway today. So uh, there are a few things to talk about, and but I guess I'm going to, I'll start with Johan because I know you had a couple of topics to bring up. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me just throw a, a few things out there and, and you can pick up on whatever you like. So, so the first thing that came to mind to me was the, that there's a discussion on birth rates going around. We're seeing declining birth rates to some extent. There are preliminary numbers from a, a number of European countries which indicate that well, we're seeing something like a 10% drop and I think live births, while a majority of Western countries, but not all, seem to hover somewhere around the normal if, if the data is to be trusted. But in Hungary, a member of parliament just said that they had a 20% drop in birth rates and they blamed it on the COVID vaccines. I have no idea what sort of arguments he or she put forth, but you know, I seem to remember that Hungary, Hungary did not implement any, any very draconian restrictions. So I think you could say that they're probably unlikely to see these significant disruptions uh, in terms of the interaction patterns of people, and, and they would probably not see a significant birth deficit due to only social factors, you know. And, and Sweden's birth rate data, but, well, there, there are some, some bad news over here, actually, because there's been a precipitous decline in births here, a, a much more significant drop than any time during modern history between it. 2021 and 22. And Sweden is also, you know, an important canary in the coal mine since we've had basically no real lockdowns, as you all know, and we kind of maintain normal social relations. Well, at least, you know, to a, such a degree that, you know, famine level drops in live births would not be expected. Uh, so that's one thing. And I, I would also like to mention that, that uh, I and a few uh, medical specialist friends are hopefully publishing a small study to the, to the British Medical Journal in a few days, where we present data indicating that the COVID vaccines have a negative cost-benefit ratio uh, in basically everyone due to the adverse event data. Uh, and I, I would also like to mention that in relation to data, I saw it was reported that major U.S. Uh, institutional producers of statistics and, and data, they have encountered, they say, server issues or going through significant upgrades of their systems, with the result that uh, reliable data on everything from economic indicators to, you know, diesel reserve levels to, to mortality will be unavailable or, or uh, not very accurate for a while. And I, I think that's very ominous. I think that there might be some sort of intentional obfuscation here. So that's, that's all I had. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the birth rate discussion is always interesting to me because, because globally there's a, there's a massive drop off in, um, <clears throat> in, in birth rates and, and there's a, pretty precipitous drop in, in fertility. 
um, male infertility is is gotten you know striking in a number of, of Western countries. Uh, uh, sperm motility is down and it's being blamed on all kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to mention though, sort of not apropos of anything that I see where um, Zelensky in Ukraine has uh, joined, signed up for the World Economic Forum Great Reset and he's accepted uh, cryptocurrency and he's all on board and there was a photo op with him and Klaus Schwab and so on, uh, <clears throat> which I just think is is one of those interesting um, sidebars that, that's going on because we're not hearing uh, a great deal about um, uh, the, the World Economic Forum at the moment, but uh, <clears throat> there was a University of Chicago study, I think one of you guys shared it with me, that <clears throat> something like, what was it, a third of Americans would be willing to take up arms against their own government uh, and this is this is a couple of days after Biden was asked at a press conference about the price of gas. How long is gas going to be? You know, this insanely in whatever it is, seven dollars a gallon. Um, and he said, as long as it takes. Uh, and so his approval ratings dropped, you know, several more points after that press conference because people are really um, suffering in terms of. Uh, uh, <clears throat> the price of food, food shortages, uh, building supply, uh, uh, materials are, are, are at incredible record highs right now, uh, and gas. And, and we see that in Norway, Scandinavia too, uh, very high prices for everything. Gas is just unbelievably high. Uh, and it keeps going up. It's, you know, <clears throat> it's well over double what it was. Uh, a year and a half ago. Anyway, I'm just throwing that one out too. Um, but uh, I turn it over to whoever wants to, to take it. I don't see any little hands up there. Um, I'll jump Drew? in. So, so okay, I'll jump in for a sec. So yes, yeah. yeah, the gas here um, just came down from over two dollars a liter to around a dollar um, ninety. And same thing, they're saying it's you know just going to keep going back up. Um, I think the government stepped in and made a big announcement about bringing down the gas taxes a bit so all it's about a five cent um five cent drop so it's still outrageous and affordable especially for people like truck drivers people you know that bring the food people um you know that need trucks for a living that drive them you've got what is it my my daughter's boyfriend is a young guy starting his new company um construction and I think his gas costs for two weeks over six hundred dollars which is you know makes makes him make you know have no income basically very little income and and then yesterday with the food prices I went to a little one of the final remaining bakeries in the city and um, right beside the weekend market and I bought I didn't ask the price I bought a little I know like a little cinnamon sugar Fun type of thing and a croissant and I I can believe it it was over $12 whoa yeah. I mean that's that's sort of the end of that for me right um yeah. Yeah. and that's that's where we're at right now yeah. <clears throat> no like, it's similar here you can't you can't 
<clears throat> every I find myself doing things um, that I have never done in my lifetime in terms of cutting costs. You know, using leftover everything and and not not going anywhere that I don't have to because I can't afford it. You know, it's it's extraordinary. I drove to Uppsala for this conference where mm. where Johan was and Rob, and uh, it it was. Uh, I don't know what that, you know, it was a 10 hour drive, 900 kilometers or something. And uh, it was well over a thousand kroner each direction, which you can go and do your currency converter thing. It's a lot of money. I mean, it was, it was twice what it should be. It's just stunning. Um, the, the gas prices are, are, are stunning. Um, Johan? Yeah, I just had a follow-up question for Corey because I haven't been really paying attention to Canada in a few months. So, so I'm, I'm thinking, what, what is the political atmosphere right now in Canada, and what happened to the trucker protests? What's the aftermath of all of that? Do you think? Oh, there was a big sort of colossal on Canada Day. What is it now? Hundred and over 150 years of colonization in Canada. Anyway, now people are hesitant to put up their Canadian flags and wave them because it's now associated with the truckers' protest and the convoy, which media refers to as white supremacists and Nazis and all these horrible things. And so it's sort of ironic because, the, you know, Canada is white supremacist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's that. Um, and then there's still a lot of mask wearing is coming back. Not a lot. It's mostly gone. But there's, it's, you know, every time the media is talking about monkeypox and all that, you see an increase in mask wears. So even in the past couple of weeks where we've had massive, you know, crazy, crazy hot humid weather, about 40 degrees humidex, there's still people wearing masks, especially young people, which is really, really bizarre. Um, yeah. And so there's that. Um, the political climate, our, our governments, you know, you're talking about the population decrease and that we're bringing more and more people to keep the economy growing, I guess, and the house, the houses we're building, every single city has this massive, massive sprawl, and we're bringing people in to buy these homes, because the same thing, the population on um, the fertility population is dropping right off, like a dropping off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the numbers, the decline is, is really notable um, uh, and not insignificant at all. Varun? Yeah, I, I, I read also um, some publications that have talked about severe population decline in the US and now the same thing is being published in India as well. They're, they're talking about a dead stop in the next five years and then a like a steep fall in population till 2050. So all of that is being mainstreamed very slowly. And it's I, I, I overheard a conversation last night. I was uh, at dinner, but there are people just saying that they had the Omicron variant, uh, the variant and the Delta variant, but nobody's really talking about any critical, I mean, there is no critical analysis of the shots in these kind of public gatherings. There is like everybody is very convinced about um, the threat that has been kind of planted, <laughs> and nobody's really looking at how the shots are doing all of this. But what's really troublesome is that all of us have been saying the same thing for two years, and we knew this was going to happen, right? Like and we yeah. knew that the idea, the idea behind all of this was population control and things like that, and like drops in fertility are directly connected to now 
like Johan is about to publish, and I'm looking forward to reading that. But what's funny is that the intuitive nature of the of the human being has completely been compromised. You can't trust your own intuition anymore, and it's more that <clears throat> the establishment narrative has taken over the relationship of the individual with itself completely. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th <clears throat> this is a theme that 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 I mean, I'm working on a blog post of kind of about this, but um, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and and um, we were talking about how nobody reads anymore, you know, um, and and all of us. I mean, I most of my reading at this point is online because I can't afford to buy the books that I want to read. So I, I read them in PDF files, um, which is an entirely different kind of reading. Uh, but, but the point of the conversation was this, and we've talked about it before a number of times, and it's, it's, it's a complicated discussion, but the, the loss of, uh, of public discourse that, that that people don't read ergo they don't think and they have trouble thinking of uh, uh critically and and the, the the exercise of 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 reason logic has 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 just atrophied i i'm stunned in fact at at the at the emptiness of um of most discourse and that people are very uncomfortable uh, if, if, if asked a certain kind of question, even relatively innocuous, if it requires a thoughtful response, it seems that the majority of people are uncomfortable with that. That's, that's my anecdotal experience at any rate. And, um, and accompanying that, running alongside that, and then I'll turn it over to you guys a little, is, is how increasingly it it's increasingly apparent to me how nothing works that 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 life is this endless exercise in frustration um online forms don't work you know um all kinds of the digital systems for banking and 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 retail and don't work so often don't work and people have become numb to it it's be, it's part of a, a they anticipate failure in how things work because in fact automation doesn't work I mean, i i say this over and over i say it all the time that automation has made nothing better and it hasn't i can't think of a single thing past the you know automatic washing machine that um in which automation has improved anyone's life um johan or varun either one yeah. varun go ahead you I was just going to make another one uh, observation was that I think it's this kind of deliberate pressure that debt and increasing prices creates in society in general keeps people away from being curious. I think that's a, I think it's a deliberate thing that is happening. It's not just incidental. It's not, I think it is very much part of the plan because a person who is not stressed out and in a calm spot mm. then have an internal or external or a combination of both exploratory mind. And I think it is very necessary for the establishment to create um, these kind of frustrations and pressures and 
and stress deliberately in society so that the power structure can remain the same. Yeah. Um, I, I, th I think so, and that's a, a, you know, that's another topic, but, um, but yes, <laughs> Johan. Yeah, and on what you just said, John, I, I, I had friends connect, contacting me and, and asking me on, on my perspective as to why people don't understand basic arguments. So I, I think that's a very important topic. But I was, uh, I was uh, meaning to ask a question, a question to Rob, and also maybe if, if Rob could say a few words just to introduce himself. And in connection to both John and Varun's comments, perhaps also say something about your particular perspective on the, this disconnect between mainstream narratives and, and reality and how you look on that from your perspective. Uh, I mean, just, just dismay. I, I can't understand uh, really anybody except you guys and a couple of friends here. <laughs> Uh, that we've kind of found each other here locally um, because, <clears throat> well, I'm getting fairly older. Uh, think back to 1980 about is when I started becoming a kind of a obsessive reader of newspapers and uh, television news, um, which basically never stopped. Uh, so I've been paying a lot of attention. I would make predictions about things that the U.S. was going to do to my friends' parents, and they would say, no, it can't be. And I said, yeah, watch. You know, and you can tell, right? You can tell just, just the way they structure what the officials, what they say uh, officially. And, um, but in my, it's what Varun and John uh, talked about already, and you know, I know you, you talk about it often, here uh this you know people are just giving up uh or not even aware that they're giving it up but they've just surrendered any ability at reflection or thought and they will just absorb and parrot anything they're told and this is happening this is what where the dismay is it's this is happening at the same time that the quality of official narratives is just astonishingly poor. Yeah, so it is amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's breathtaking sometimes that 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 what passes for a, official pronouncements that you just I'm at a loss for words. Often I think you know that I'm living in an alternate universe or something. But I interrupted you. Please go on. Oh no! I, that's uh, that was a, I guess maybe a whole <laughs> thought. Uh, I don't know how to introduce myself. Uh, I married a Swedish woman after we dated when when we were teenagers in in 1985, and then she uh, she broke up with me, something I had plenty of experience with. Uh, <laughs> I found her again 25 years later on Facebook. See, Facebook and, uh, has something good. It, it did, yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, and then we eventually after, uh, well, she was willing to talk to me, uh, but that led to, to us, uh, well, we fell in love again, let's say. And then she married, we, we married in 2014. And now I live in Sweden, she's Swedish. So nice. I met her uh, 
in in the in eighty five at the beach in Virginia. <laughs> this is kind of a great story, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, and and um, I'm really glad to have you uh, join us here. Actually, I think it's nice we get more voices in here. Corey, you, I, you have mm, I just wanted, you know, when Rob was talking about getting older and, you know, the 1980s sort of dawned on me, um, following up on how I mentioned a lot of youth are wearing these masks and that's how odd it is that before, you know, on teenage years, your youth, that was all associated with rebelling against authority, right? Um, rebelling against your parents, rebelling against the government, the authority, not trusting them, going against against the system for no other reason than, you know, because you're young and you have these ideals in everything you're exploring the world and just how now that's sort of gone, you know, now we have the youth completely um, trusting, staying home um, with parents, you know, they're not moving out when, you know, most, so many people, I moved out when I was 16, so many people I know moved out when they're 16, 17, 18. I moved out when I was 16, yeah. Right, now, now everyone stays home, everyone listens to the government, everyone believes what they're told, like, it's a complete, that sort it's, of on. Yeah, no, it's, this is a great topic, and, and we've mentioned it before, but, um, uh, you know, and I'm probably the oldest one here. I'm finding that to be the case in groups I'm in lately. But anyway, um, so I remember when I, I just will tell you this very briefly, and I think I've probably said it before. When I got to New York in 1971, I graduated high school in 69, the summer of love. And um, my cousin was in New York. I'd go and gone to Europe for a couple of months and just knocked around. And I came back and stopped in New York, my cousin, Jim Storm. Uh, who is still alive and kicking, uh, was in a play at Theater Genesis, Sam Shepard play. And I met Sam, Murray Mednick, Olan Jones, a whole lot of people, Jim Bowerline, um, and, and Terry Ork, the kind of legendary Terry Ork. And we became pals and I kind of moved in with Jim and then later with Terry because everybody was kind of just, nobody worked. Um, everybody managed to get by somehow because they claimed to be artists and artists were um, subsidized to some degree in those years. And uh, there were rent control departments and so forth. But my most distinct memory was the conversations that people had just casually. We'd meet for coffee, we'd meet at somebody's apartment, we'd meet on the street or in bookstores. And the conversation was about books and philosophy and politics and art. And they were impassioned discussions and people always said something that made you go buy another book or borrow one or get something uh, that somebody else had referred to. And, uh, and this was every day. And there were 10 plays off Off-Broadway that you could go to on any week that were worth seeing. There were 10, 15, 20 little cinematechs showing obscure art films that you would go to, showing Hollywood films, having little John Ford, Howard Hawk festivals. <clears throat> it was constant and it was, it was incredibly exciting. And I don't think any of us appreciated it at the time. But my memory of it is that um, that was my education. I never went to college. I never went to university. That was my education these really smart people talking to me. I was the kid, I was the youngest one in that huge group of people. And, um, and 
you know, now when I visit New York, when I visit Los Angeles, um, I don't have any of those conversations. None. Zero. Zero. The closest I might get to it, there's maybe two people in LA I still have serious conversations with, but um, the most you will get is somebody will say, oh, the, the, the new show at the Getty's kind of okay. You could go see that. That's about it. That's about it. And um, there is this resignation, Rob said, this sense of people giving up. Yeah, and I don't think they realize it, but there is, there is a, a sense of absolute profound, you know, um, like, I don't know, soul deadening resignation in, in um, Western societies today. Johan. Yeah, I, I had a, a question for Hiroyuki in relation to the, well, you know, collapse of discourse and, and the broader cultural decline, so to speak, because, you know, we're, we're approaching the, the 4th of July celebrations, and I seem to remember that Long Island is, you know, a kind of a traditional gathering spot for, for these sorts of things, so I'm wondering... You know, what is the general mood in relation to the, the U.S. Um, Independence Day celebrations? What, what is the contemporary state of U.S. patriotism in general, you know, in, the, in, the, in light of the failing economy and the incredibly unpopular Biden administration and all that? Uh, well, I, I really feel isolated and um, um, I don't really have direct... Um, uh, interactions uh, with uh, uh, people I used to know. Uh, I, perhaps it's partly because of what I've been saying, and uh, partly because of the uh, the, the, the whole um, atmosphere of uh, COVID uh, situation. Um, I think it's lingering. Uh, uh, people are not uh, interacting as much as uh, they they used to be. And um, um, so I can guess certain things. Uh, the like we've been discussing today, um, <laughs> there, there's a sense of uh, dysfunctional aspects in every corners uh, of the society. You know, it's the stuff John was talking about. Nothing works. And uh, also, uh, we had the uh, Supreme Court uh, decision. Um, about the uh, Roe versus Wade, and uh, um, it seems to function um, as uh, a factor to divide uh, the population. And at the same time, it fuels the um, uh, corporate politics. Um, you know, this is kind of amazing, uh, considering the fact that the uh, um, the one of the parties, uh, Democratic Party has been totally uh, discredited and uh, uh, and you know enough so that we had um, uh, Donald Trump as the president and you know it, they work together you know they, they can't stand uh, on their own you the Democrats need Trump and Trump needs Democrats and they engage in this ritualized uh, political theater and it's ritualized ritualized so it's it's really not real and um so this is this is um all the, the frustration and anger and all those things 
are processed in this rituals, the safe ritual to battle against your political right. opponent. And the, this whole thing is depriving the real political uh, um, momentum. There's no uh, political institution in the United States that's for the people. It's totally uh, an instrumental instrument for the uh, uh, establishment. So um, it's 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 really. I mean, you know, we can sit down and uh, uh, explain and uh, describe and um, uh, understand uh, how sophisticated uh, this that this whole pyramid scheme uh, that's been going on for generations, but th there's really not concrete uh, uh, ways to really go about it. I think, uh, we, you know, at this point, we, we really need to understand and uh, we need to uh, um, uh, really see what it means to be um, relating to others, relating to nature and relating to uh, ourselves. And it's really hard because every time you want to do something, um, you're going to, you know, you, you don't like this policy or that policy, what are we gonna do? We have to vote, you know, that's the yeah. first thing. You know, it's, it's, it, I mean, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very, very difficult situation. And, um, and you know, the, the people are suffering, you know, over the COVID situation, a lot of people lost their jobs for what they believe, um, people got hurt. Um, so it's, it's really, um, um, it's not like, you know, it's um, everything is theater and nobody's suffering. You know, the, the poverty rate is uh, totally um, horrible. And uh, there are a bunch of homeless people in every cities, you know. <laughs> you know what? Let me let me just I, I see a sea of blue hands here. Um, Rob, Corey, Varun in that order. But let me read you that that University of Chicago is very, very short. The University of Chicago published striking poll results, suggesting among other things that over a quarter of Americans are now willing to take up arms against their own government. The sentiment was most pronounced among strong Republicans at 45%, but even among more moderate Republicans and among independents, a third of respondents still said they would take up arms. One in five Democrats also said they would take up arms. Other results showing the growing divide among US voters include a majority of Americans believing that the government is corrupt and rigged against everyday people like me. That's a quote. Two thirds of Republicans and half of independents believing the 2020 election was rigged. Uh, substantially lower number of Democrats, 22% believe that, while nearly half of all respondents said they felt like a stranger in their own country. So this, this is, you know, this is the same thing. It's, it's uh, all the frustration and anger are sort of hardened into this political theater. And uh, it's harmless, you know, it, it, it strengthened the, uh, the corporate powers, it strengthened the uh, establishment, and uh, people are not going to have options, real options for the people. So it's, um, uh, and, you know, all the angers, frustration, they're going to, they're going to be against each other. You know, it's not yeah. going to be going against the system that's doing it. 
So, um, you know, and those um, articles and studies are coming from the establishment itself, you know? Yes, yeah. so, which, <clears throat> which is an interesting topic. Okay, um, Corey and then Rob and then Varun. I just wanted to ask Hiroyuki if he thinks like the whole um, thing that's happened in the States, happening Roe versus Wade, reversal, all that horrific, terrifying. I wondered if Hiroyuki thinks that the whole willingness over the last um, couple of two or three years to um, sort of give up your bodily autonomy to the state, if that's contributed to, to, you know, that decision, like what he thinks about that. Well, I mean, the, the, uh, the whole COVID situation uh, has been politicized. So, you know, the, the, the whole momentum has been moving toward the uh, uh, party politics in some ways. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think uh, that's uh, that's totally an element. And uh, um, you know, the frustration of being hopeless, helpless, uh, totally adds to this uh, momentum, uh, the political momentum of we have to do something. You know, they are evil. You know, we have to do something. So. Uh, and of course, you know, that that's that's true. You know, it, it is uh, the horrible um, direction we are going in. I mean, no, no question about it. But the people who are uh, going against what's going now are the same people who have been forcing people to be vaccinated, forcing people to be uh, get masked and forcing people to be go along with all the measures that are working for the corporations. So it's, it's you know, it's, um, uh, wh where do you go, you know? That's what I mean, like my body, my choice, how do you apply it to one thing and not another, right? Like you can't just have it applied to some things, you know? Right. But this is, this is the, the this is, Johan and I were talking about this, this is the age of cognitive dissonance. I mean, it's extraordinary. The, the, you know, this is how people can't think. This is another example of people can't think. Um, Rob, I want to get to all these hands here. <clears throat> well, the, the status of American patriotism uh, is uh, it just in complete, it's complete, it seems to have become completely pointless for the reasons that Hiroki, Hiroki said, but not everyone sees it. I mean, <clears throat> it depends who you talk to, obviously. Uh, the amount of suffering and uh, just despair throughout the U.S. Is, is just overwhelming as far as I can see. I, my connections to people in the U.S. have been very fragmented for a few years, though, so <clears throat> I'm a little, I'm pretty well disconnected, but things that I read and see are just shocking. But again, not everyone sees it, so there was a little point by uh, Alex Berenson a few days ago. He mentioned his mother, who uh, still votes for Democrats. By the way, I voted for Democrats my whole life uh, from 19, I voted for Michael Dukakis uh, and every election through 2008, I voted for Obama the first time. And, uh, and then I quit voting because of, uh, you know, the, the total ab complete reversal from what, what had been said during the election campaign. And then what he, you know, he started five more wars you know, and really disgusting ones too, They're just absolutely sick. And you couldn't talk to people about it. They, they couldn't see it. And, and, and I think it's encapsulated by Alex Berenson's mother, who he 
Well, he says that she didn't actually say this, but he read between the lines. He says that she thinks that Biden is a kind of amalgam uh, made out of, uh, well, this scenario where if uh, Franklin Roosevelt, John Kennedy, and Hillary Clinton had a three-way. <laughs> there you go. Last time I voted, by the way, was for Hubert Humphrey. Um, Varun? I just wanted to talk about the, the idea of industrialized pleasure and industrialized pain. In modern industrial civilization, all the pleasure that people derive has slowly been transformed into what the corporation can provide. Whether it's entertainment or, or going shopping in a mall, or it's infiltrated every single aspect of the human relationship, interpersonal relationship. And similarly, because of because of kind of imperializing the pleasure pleasure principle, I think automatically even the principle of suffering has been industrialized. So all the suffering that we will see are only because the mechanics of establishment work like that. It's always meant to make people suffer unless they align themselves with the narrative that the establishment is, is peddling. Because I, I think outside of this, what would suffering and pain look like? If you had to deindustrialize pain, what does it look like then? I think pain of loss, it's a pain of loss of relationship rather, a pain of uh, lo losing lodging or not being able to find food. You know, those are the kind of, kind of suffering that you might go through. You know, I, I want to get to Johan here, <clears throat> but just yeah, apropos of what you said, Ru, I mean, this is, I, again, this, this becomes an incredibly complicated topic, but um, because I think that's true. And I, and I think that, you know, if you go back, you read Guy Debord's first book in whatever it was in 1968 or something, and, and this follow-up in 1985, um, <clears throat> he was incredibly prescient and, and incredibly so. And <clears throat> he understood the basic mechanisms of what was happening. I mean, but, but so, so did a lot of the Frankfurt School people and Marcuse and all kinds of other people. Gramsci all saw aspects of what was gonna happen and what is happening. And, and the problem I have is that, that like here in Norway, you have a society that um, all Norwegians go on hikes on Sunday with their family. That's what they do, they get out in nature. It's all very supportable and it all sounds very good. And um, you're constantly running into people on long hiking trails and in the woods. And most of the country is empty forest anyway. And, you know, they're very, people always say, hi, hi. You know, you're supposed to say hi when you pass somebody on the hiking trails here. And, uh, and yet, you know, all this great outdoors therapeutic exposure to nature hasn't changed the rightward drift politically of this country, mm. um, not in the slightest. And you have to remember, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just free associating here, you know, that, that the Third Reich were great lovers of nature and, and were in some ways anti-technological um, and, and anti-modernists as well. So there's, there's a, this is why it becomes a very big complicated question, I think. Um, Johan? And I just wanted to comment on, on Varun's uh, statements here, which I, I thought were, were really profound and, and, and uh, interesting because what you're saying is really that 
alienation even robs us of profound meaningful suffering you know that our experiences of suffering are flattened out and and framed by the the order of, of capitalist consumption to such an extent that we're in some sense robbed of the well, the healing effects of uh, the meaningful interpretation of our suffering. And I think that's a really important uh, realization you're giving us here. Mm. Right. <clears throat> um, Rob? Oh, my hand was up. But, Your uh... hand was, see, yeah, okay. But that's fine, that's <laughs> it fine. It stays An up the whole hand, time. An empty hand is perfectly okay. A lower um, hand. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, no, I think, I think, Varun's comments were were really important, and and before I launch into something, I'll call Corey, who has um, yeah the commodification of suffering. Everything can be commodified, and almost everything has at this point. Everything has been, yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, just touch base on I think it was Hiroyuki that posted, or maybe it was you, John, that posted um, urgent warning to gardeners: the soil increases risk of killer heart disease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were laughing about that earlier. I mean, um, is that not fucking crazy? <laughs> yeah, it's the. I mean, you have the 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 master narrative. You know, corporate media at the behest, presumably, of you know the World Economic Forum and the, the Wall Street and the Pentagon. Who knows? You know, keep coming up with excuses for why all these young people are dropping dead, right? Um, and they're doing backflips trying to explain away the fact that there are so many heart attacks, but other things as well. I mean, there's, there's a spike in hepatitis in, for children in Denmark, I saw, can't be explained. Um, <clears throat> one theory being that, you know, the mass vaccination with this experimental vaccine has destroyed immune systems. I don't know, um, but it makes sense. But but they keep coming up with these these weird theories. It's stress. It's, it's too much sun. It's working in your garden. You know, don't go to plant those strawberries. You could get a heart attack. It's so laughable. It's so absurd. And yet, you know, and yet this will prevent a number of people from gardening this summer, I'm quite sure. Um, Johan? Yeah, yeah, but I think this is kind of the same thing as what, what Varun is saying. But you know, even even my work in the garden must be framed with fear of, of this pathogen. My, my my healing experiences of nature, as you were referring to the the hikes and toil in nature, are being repackaged and repurposed through the, this pandemic policy in a way. Right. Well, I mean, the, but the system has has been selling fear now for quite a while. Um, they've just they've just gotten more sophisticated in how they do it, and because <clears throat> I remember when suddenly the weather was um, criminalized, killer storm due this weekend. You know, um, that kind of language spread into natural events, and and it was partly this thing we've talked about before, the anthropomorphizing of things, but it was also that that everything in the world, including other people, presented a threat to you. And, <clears throat> and there was a strange tendency toward 
people's thinking and, and ideological positions reflecting economic thinking. I, I, maybe it was Jonathan Bellow who first said this, I don't know this, that risk management was people were thought about their lives in terms of risk management, um, which, which really was an economic um, concept. And so, you know, you need to invest in your future. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is um, this is also this this strange uh, uh, fixation that that the society at large has with with the predictive, with predicting certain results. And I sent you guys, I think, that clip about you know, new AI algorithm can prevent crime a week before it happens. Um, this this would get laughed at in a in a in a Marvel comic strip, you know. I mean, it's it's so ludicrous and patently impossible and untrue, but it and no doubt steeped in a kind of you know the racist criminal justice system as it exists. So I mean, anyway, Hiroyuki. I think it, it really uh, it's it's the commodification, like Corey was saying. It's uh, it, when everything is for sale, uh, everything is packaged. So uh, <laughs> when you get angry, you they tell you how to get angry and uh, they tell you how to get frustrated. So, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, there are co the consequences and the effects are controlled and managed and uh, it all ends up uh, uh, neutralized and uh, harmless. And, uh, uh, and of course, you know, we don't learn substantial things about life through that kind of um, uh, ritualized situation. And, uh, and we're all commodities as well. And, um, and that makes it very, very complicated, you know, because if you're a commodity, you're going to be cheap and you're going to be uh, disposable. And, uh, you know, then you can't think and you can't do things. And uh, uh, it's a difficult situation. Well, the, the, um... I forget who it was, Russell Jacoby, I think. <clears throat> I've no doubt said this before because this was Marx's idea of reification, right? Yeah. That people start to be treated um, as as uh, as commodities in a sense, right? You treat your appliances like friends. You treat your friends like appliances. Um, and and reification is a is a profound concept, and and it's it's um, joined at the hip with exchange value. Mm. That, that that equation uh, has is infused within Western society now that it to such a degree that it that it passes without without note in a sense um, the, the that that this commodification we're talking about is is very deep now and and uh, uh, it, it it's almost reached, uh, a stage that is post commodification on one level, uh, because because it's a, capitalism no longer runs as a as a commodity system. I mean, it's 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 we're transitioning into this kind of post capitalist feudalism or something that we've all talked about a great deal. But um, but it is it is very deep and it's it's part of the suffocating of reason uh, that is taking place. It, it, this is one of the contributing factors. Uh, Johan. Yeah, I'm just curious on, uh, maybe you just threw it out there, of course, but but what would post-commodification entail 
in detail how what what sort of relationship is that describing between between the the subject and the object in the post-capitalist order what are you talking about here what's your idea well just that people are not people are the the system is not driven by consumption anymore right right um, <clears throat> we have overproduction and, and, and sort of commodity surplus, and, and this becomes probably way too complicated for a podcast. But in, in short form, I think the, 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 uh, if, if we're speaking psychologically, the, the idea that, that reification, that, that we see people for their, their you know, exchange value in a sense and use value and they're not treated, we don't have human community anymore. And <clears throat> that that objectification of the other, this othering mechanism that has been the reigning principle for, you know, however many, many decades now, 50 years, 60 years, uh, is, is withering and being replaced with with something, you know, something else. And I, I'm going to be hard pressed to define what right. that is exactly. But I think it is, it is the fact that people are no longer, as Hiroyuki was talking, and as Rob was talking about, the, 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 the psychological climate, the emotional climate in the United States is dire. It is. And writers have been right. I remember what one of the things Sam Shepard said in one of his last interviews. He said, "You know, if you stop at a bus stop <clears throat> uh, in in you know Nowhereville, Kansas, pick a town, stand and chat to the people at the bus stop, you are going to find raw misery uh, as the predominant characteristic of of these people. And this just washes across the country." Now he said this 25 years ago. But other people say it all the time, and people have been saying it for a long time, artists and writers. Um, but it was in, in, in an era in which that was lacquered over somehow or disguised through this, this, this mechanism of commodification. Uh, once that is starting to wither away, it is, there is nothing to replace it. There is just a kind of you know this whatever people want to call it the new feudalism uh there is a, an empty nihilistic nothingness and that's what i sense in is the character of this resignation we're all well, it's, it's like it's like prison right it's like domesticated situation right you 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 interact but everything is in the framework of the uh, imperial sphere so um you're giving things but you're not really um uh, well it's the withering away of experience you know you're given the experience but there is no experience there you're being given an experience that doesn't exist <clears throat> and maybe the facsimile the the simulcra of that experience was there 25 years ago maybe probably to some degree today there's not even that so i think we're we're looking at a, 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 you know, psychoanalytically a state of, of, um, of, of, 
I don't know, uh, a, you know, the, a pathological state of, of alienation in people. And, and certainly that seems reflected in like, you know, um, the state of mind in, of young people, teenagers, college students, um, who lack ambition, have no trust in the future, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, if there was a, if there was a simulcra of, of, of the prisoner, you were given this emotion, this is how you should feel. You don't even have that anymore. You, it, everything is just untethered is what it feels like to me. And um, um, that was Edward Said's final interview, right? He said, what they said, what, what, what is the one characteristic you most see? And again, this is 20 years ago. And he said, unreality, the level of unreality that right. is everyday life. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Varun? Yeah, I think that's, this is um, like the superimposition on the individual identity, which is the simulation that the individual is playing out for the establishment. And so there is a, such a deep disconnect. So all individuals are just exchanging these signs and symbols and, and physical acts that are only helpful for the establishment. It's yeah. very outputting. It's sucking, it's sucking them out of themselves. And therefore, the, like you were saying, that there's this emptiness is because people have lost connection to themselves. Their, I, their intuition, their in, in, like intelligent, yeah. inherent kind of intelligence on the planet has been completely severed. I think, and that's yeah. really a very frightening thing to realize. Um, Rob? <laughs> I saw um, some good news. A 13-year-old, um, someone shared uh, some remarks from a 13-year-old girl who hasn't forgotten what it means to know yourself and other people. And and I, I would like to read that. It's uh, like, to take about a minute. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Um, sure. Okay, before I do, um, I, I just met John and Johan. Uh, Johan I met last summer. My wife and I drove up to the north of Sweden and met you. Um, and was it last week we were in Uppsala? And I, and we were, yeah. And I, I got there on the first afternoon, others had already been there through the day. And, and I had a sense of, even though I was so happy at the chance to meet again, um, it was in the context of, a, of an academic conference and I had this overwhelming sense of dread and I, and I avoided uh, the chance to listen to two hours of talks that afternoon. <laughs> I walked around in a, in a botanical garden instead. And um, because I, I just have this fear now that What's going to happen is if anyone I meet, and this is new, I, you know, none of us grew up this way, uh, but anyone you meet now, you, you, ha you have to be wary that if you can even talk to them about anything, they're going to, they're going to promote the most bizarre, crazed ideas uh, that are so counterproductive and self-defeating. <laughs> I would rather just avoid it yeah, Forever. I think this is a common, but I get it, you know, I, I think a lot of people feel this way. There's something unsettling about, about such an indoctrinated populace, you know, but anyway, go ahead with what you were going to. Okay, the, the, here's the good news then. Uh, let me, let me bring, okay, here's the note. Um, I'm, let me share, uh, turn on my camera so you can see who wrote this. Uh, 
this. Uh, one second, here she is. Um, can you see her? Our viewers at home can't, but I can. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, John. Okay. Okay. Here's what she had to say. Uh, a letter from Faina Savinkova. Savinkova. The more you grow up, the more you realize that the world is unfair. She's 13 years old. And she's from Lugansk. The more you grow up, the more you realize that the world is unfair. When the war in Donbass began eight years ago, few could have imagined that instead of the peaceful country of Ukraine, its authorities would make it miserable and torn apart with a fierce hatred of the inhabitants toward each other. But it happened that, you, that Ukraine with Russian literature, great achievements and normal attitude towards each other will never be the same again. Just as there will, will not be in the, uh, just as there will not be the West, which is the stuff of legends with history, freedom, and people to believe in and strive to be like them. Musicians, actors, presenters, politicians, they are all the same. The world itself is changing. Television replaces your walks in the rain and the internet replaces your books. Why read when you can watch a movie? Why be literate at all? Just know how to count to 100 and put an X. It's been done before, and it's probably a very comfortable world for some, but not for those who remember what it is like to ask the right questions, because asking them can destroy the cardboard world that we are encouraged to think is real. Such was the case with Julian Assange, who has become an example to many. He is one of those who has not been afraid to openly declare that people have a right to know the truth shattering the known and so familiar illusion. He broke through the breach in this painstakingly built up cardboard wall at the, cast, at the cost of his normal life. Let it not be in vain and others who wish to live in truth push that breach from horizon to, to horizon. And I will keep trying to push that breach to my horizon in Donbass. And she continues, good afternoon, Mr. Assange. I have been thinking for a long time how to start this letter. I have written many letters over the years to presidents, politicians, and artists in Europe and the USA, even to the Pope. I was ignored and dismissed, except for the clerks and small officials who answered with formal replies. But I kept writing and begging. It was all about one thing, to help stop the war in Donbass and to influence Ukraine not to kill children in Donetsk and Lugansk. Makayevka and Pervomaisk. Many people said I was doing it for nothing, just wasting my time. But listening to them, I remembered you because you were and are an example to me. You could have said nothing to the world about what America was doing and simply remained silent and lived quietly as many journalists did. But the tr truth is necessary. And the easiest and most difficult thing at the same time is to tell it to people. And the last sentence. You have become an example for many, including me. Thank you for your honesty, for your strength of will, and for not breaking under the blows of fate. Thank you for the fact that you were able to give strength to fight injustice. May God bless you and your family. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do I have any? Okay, no comments. Okay, I, I, 
I always have these kind of um, complicated reactions to these things. Um, as I do actually to Assange, um, but I don't think I, and I just realized that my microphone um, thing fell out here. So hold on, I may not be recording at all. You are. Have, okay, you can hear me? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we may have to edit a little of this because, yeah, see, I'm, okay. I'm going to pause here for a moment and Jack Lippman's going to have to fix this because hold on. No. We are back. Um, yeah, okay. I, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, what do I feel about that? I don't know. I'm going to withhold comment for a moment. Um, anybody else? Yeah, sure. I think, I think this is also, it feeds into, um, we always tend to have publicized idols and mentors. So it falls into, sometimes into the category of celebrity in that sense is that um, there is very necessarily an establishment trick to always have somebody else to peg your hopes on. And that's taking away responsibility from the individual in that sense. So if, when Julian Assange or Edward Snowden is out and heavily publicized, and then suddenly there is, a, there is hope in the public that these guys are gonna do something in the sense that the public itself has been so, for lack of a better word, disempowered that it is always going to be either the left or the right or the alt or this kind of community that is going to save us. And that always automatically somehow feeds into the narrative where the establishment always wins. The house always wins. There is no getting out of the stuff. And so, I don't know, I mean, that's like you were saying, it's kind of a complicated equation here. But... Well, it, yeah, it is. And I'll tell you what uh, the other, it, it, and and I say this from a position of um, uncertainty, uh, uh, because I feel that aesthetics is extraordinarily important um, in the broadest sense of that of that word. Um, there is, a, I mean, in one way, it's a it's a terrific letter, and you go, yeah, okay, great, and she's thirteen, and. Eh. Um, but, but, but there's, there's a creeping, just barely detectable front edge of sentimentality in that. And, and, and I'm acutely fine tuned and suspicious ab about that. Um, I, you know, James Baldwin said sentimentality is the mask of cruelty. Uh, it, but it's worse than that. Um, but I don't. But it's also a trap. I don't know how you, how you, how how you, how you write a letter and not be sentimental. But Varun's right. It's also like, well, but you know, um, <clears throat> this is on some level. And this is also what Hiroyuki was saying, I think. This is also on some level an acceptable um, 
uh, outlet for certain kinds of feelings. Well, we can we can pin our hopes in Julius Assange. We can write a letter to Julius Assange. We can talk about Julian Assange, <clears throat> and and you know, um, and that's that's containable on some level. Um, you know, it, it it's because I think it's interesting that nobody would publish a letter written to Leonard Peltier or, or Mumia or, you know, but a dozen other people who are less palatable somehow to, to, to mainstream um, the world. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure at all exactly what I'm saying, except that, that, except that we have to, if, if, if we really want to dissect the reality that under which we live in this moment, um, there has to be a kind of ruthless um, um, interrogation of these things. You know, um, I think it's healthy to, to, to be, um, to first look at, is this an acceptable, are we being handed another um, script Ta-da. that we're meant to follow <laughs> somehow. I don't know. Yeah, Corey. I, I guess the first thing I would ask is where was it published? Yeah, and that. there's a, a Facebook post. Oh, okay, okay, good. A, No idea. I just read it like an hour ago, and yeah, I, I totally know. understand. Yeah. 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 I mean, no one knows really. You have to think about that for a while. You know, like John said, process it. But um, if it's yeah, just a Facebook post on one hand you know it's encouraging and wonderful to hear of 13 year olds you know that are thinking and reading and think at such depth and also you know in this age also to be sort of do your homework and what John was saying um you know trust your instincts and intuition why do we not hear same things um about you know exactly what John said I'm just rambling really, but um, <laughs> no, it's just super interesting what, what you read, Rob, and I don't know what to make of it because I don't know who that is. And um, yeah. Yeah, I've, sorry, I brought it I brought it in having no idea myself either. Uh, sorry about that. Oh, um, no, no, no. But, but the, idea, the idea too, right, of begging our oppressors to be more lenient on us or to be, to do the right thing, like is right. sort of. Right. Your own leader, right? Ella Baker, I think, said that be your own leader, right? Stop, stop. Well, let, let, let's say I um, take it all, um, everything you guys said, like I completely um, take it all in. I, I ask myself, okay, I compare myself. Do I do any of what Julian Assange has done, like even at some micro scale? I mean, look at me. I, I have a fake name on uh, Facebook. I, I hide my 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 who I you know. I I want to get another salary job or something, right? And I have to keep the separate identity. Almost, you know. I know it's not. It's anybody who really wanted to find out who my Facebook persona really is could easily find out in two seconds. But it just makes it a little a little bit but, but uh, harder is, yeah this is but this is you know but th- this is this thing and and i i see johan wants to say something hero uk and i want to get to you guys uh i'm just going to say something very quick um 
what what Corey just said is important and um, that, that we're asking permission of our overlords on some level. Um, and, and, and I think that's another one of these reflexive sort of sub subject positions that, um, that pass without notice because we're so accustomed to doing that. And we're also accustomed to blaming ourselves and feeling that somehow inadequate. And I, I just want to run shrieking, tearing the flesh from my face when I hear somebody say, well, but what are you doing? I just, nothing makes me angrier than when people say that. Um, uh, it, it, is, it is not, I am not your father. I don't have the solution for you. Um, go figure it out. What am I doing? What are, you know, what, what we are all, we have, we are all subjected to a psychological terror campaign for the last 20 years. Um, I have lived, you know, paycheck to paycheck, uh, month to month, my entire life, you know, save for one window when I worked in Hollywood and I spent that money as fast as I got it because it made me nervous. Um, but but so you know, uh, you it's not incumbent upon you to 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 do anything that you know somehow uh, is is deemed important or meaningful or you know there is this 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 blame thing is a is a reflexive defensive position in the society people need to will read wilhelm Reich again is is my answer um but i'm just going to stop there um johan varun hiroyuki johan yeah so so in relation to all of your previous comments which i think were quite important i i think uh, first of all in relation to what you just said earlier john i think we're seeing now uh, classical Marxist alienation, but on a framework of an utterly emptied metaphysics and, and worldview background, alienation in this post-truth world. So as you said, you know, where commodification in some sense used to simul simulate this actual robust reality, we now instead have commodification of, of spectacular simulations, you know, in other words, our entire life world is, is more and more filled with this indirect simulation of, of empty falsehoods rather than even the alienated and indirect access to actual realities. And, and I think this is in some sense rock bottom. I think this is the dark night of, of modern civilization at a deep existential level and, and that we cannot salvage this within this framework in any way that we can only in some sense just hope and, and pray for the, the stars to, to pierce through the darkness somehow. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very good. Um, I think it is existential um, rock bottom. Varu? Yeah, I think like Rob was saying, like there is a there is a difference between what is. I think we're forced through why when we go through education, at least I mean I can I can speak very very confidently with uh, in this context about India, but I think it's a general theme how the education system works is that there is, a, in some way, there's a forced persona that is created for us that serves only the establishment. So there is a, the being is always at war with the persona. And in between those two things is where the establishment is negotiating our behavior on a daily basis with everything. And so why I was thinking about that was that the consumption of the icon of the savior 
has been externalized for centuries. And, and once we can get rid of, oh, well, uh, maybe that's the point is that if, if there is a possibility of, of some sort of initiation rights where people can understand that they are interdependent. Right now, the dependence is entirely on the establishment. But then yeah. once people understand that they are dependent on each other, then the negotiations change, they vastly change. Because the persona is then is completely compromised, which is something that the establishment does not want. It wants your persona in perfect position so that it keeps serving the establishment. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's good. I think that's, I think that's very smart. Um, Hiroyuki, I, I, um, going back to that letter, um, I, I think that, um, well, the the practical difficulty with that is that uh, a lot of people would actually conclude that okay, uh, this is what happened to Julian Assange. Uh, I better not do it. You know? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, and period. You know, <laughs> so um, and that's because there are so many assumptions attached to it, uh, unsaid uh, assumptions. Like uh, uh, there are problems with the uh, empire. Uh, there are problems with the uh, political system. But people are trying uh, that kind of uh, uh, um, mythic um, uh, assumption uh, when um, it is all done uh, consciously. Uh, those countries are invaded. Those countries are colonized. Those countries are in service of the uh, imperial hierarchy. And uh, this is all structurally, systemically um, uh, set. So Without that understanding, we could come out and say that, okay, we have to save Julian Assange and, uh, and there, there will be somebody who might say uh, in the establishment, okay, that's a good idea and uh, let's um, save him. And he could be uh, let go and that's going to justify the whole thing, you, right, you know. Right, just right, right. Example, you know. <clears throat> no, it's that. That's a really good point here, Yuki. And and um, it's. I think as as one gets older, and and you know, again, because I'm so old, um, you 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 the familiar feelings, familiar reactions, familiar, you know. Um, texts and and structural uh dynamics reappear and you recognize them and you go uh-huh uh-huh that feels familiar that's a thing that the establishment does that's this thing that the system does um and you start to recognize those figures uh mumia abu jamal for example he's not going to get pardoned he's going to die in prison because that because you can't pardon him. They can't pardon him. I mean, maybe 10 minutes before he dies, they'll pardon him. But, but same with Leonard Peltier. Um, uh, uh, because those figures are, uh, are, they have refused to do anything uh, that, that, that would allow for their official rehabilitation. You know, Assange, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, 
like Edward Snowden. You know, I, I don't know what the fuck to make of him. Um, yeah, I want everybody out of jail. So, yes, I want him out of jail because I want everybody out of jail. But but, you know, it's you start to recognize the those figures or ideas or positions that are actually dangerous to the status quo. And uh, it's it's just something that experience teaches you, I guess. And I mean, I'm not claiming to have um, uh, <clears throat> a monopoly on this insight or anything at all. But but uh, it, it is it is important as we as we try to. I mean, whatever it is we're doing, you know, with this podcast, with things like this, because I I often get I often get just fed up and tired and and worn out and i think we should get <clears throat> more recognition and more attention there should but i don't know how to do it and and in some sense the numbers are not important what's said is important and so you try to just stick to the truth as you know and that's what's important if 10 people listen to you okay fine then that's the 10 people that matter but um but but you know, whatever it is we're doing is something akin to education, I guess. And uh, one of the things I have noticed that the internet has done, that social media has done, and and the internet <clears throat> at, you know, writ large and all its manifestations and all its platforms and ways of existing has done is, is to, um, it, is to, further completely kill off community and um, local <clears throat> relations between people. And that's the thing I, I noticed more than anything else is that when I was a boy, even in my little stupid neighborhood in Los Angeles, there was a sense of community and people had relationships and people actually helped each other. And, you know, if there was a, a, a broken water main and the store got flooded, everybody went up to, you know, up onto Sunset Boulevard and helped that guy rebuild his store. Um, because it was just kind of what you did because you knew him and you did business with him and it was somebody that, that your kids knew. And so it was natural to, that is all gone. And it's been replaced with this weird toxic, um, hyper alienated uh, uh, world of max headroom, you know, the, um, that is social media. And it's horrible. I spend as little time on it now as possible because I think, okay, you try to get your information out there. We try to teach, we try to do something like that, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's malignant. It's a really malignant force in, in, in the world of society at large it's a it's an evil toxic um institution whatever word you want to use um okay that's that's what i have to say anybody else here maybe we're winding down final thoughts from everybody i see no no little blue hands oh yeah okay so here that's like the the, the tandem role that the idea of the information age and the globalization idea have played has basically been propaganda and colonizing human relationships over the last, like you were saying, like 20 years. It's taken them that long and they've done it. They've managed it. And now the transference is now of the ownership of nature in its entirety. Like Corey has really detailed out and Yuri has talked about it. We've been discussing it. So I think the strategy 
that has been used by them or by the establishment has worked. And now the question always becomes that, sure, it worked. We know sort of, like we can discuss why it worked and all the mechanics of all of that. But then ultimately the question will always become, how do you wean the general population off the establishment habits? How do you do that? What is the beginning point of doing that? Because I think we've all spoken about this, of being ostracized from our communities, especially in the last two years because of the stances that we've taken. And slowly it seems to me that a lot more people join in the same narrative that we have had, but but they're all still feeling isolated in their own communities, in their own uh, spaces. So I think that might be worth a chat at some point to see what, yeah. what next thing um, proactively. Yeah. Johan? Just a shout out to uh, a group calling themselves Vermonters Against Medical Mandates who posted a, a link to our pod and appreciates our work. That was nice. Wow, nice. Yeah. So you see, all of you have seemed a little bit distraught as of late. And I was just going to read you something that sort of connects with that sentiment. It's from, from the, the Tao Te Ching. <laughs> Thus it is said... <laughs> The brightness of the Tao seems like darkness. The advancement of the Tao seems like retreat. The level path seems rough. The superior path seems empty. The pure seems to be tarnished and true virtue doesn't seem to be enough. Virtue of caution seems like cowardice. The pure seems to be polluted. The true square seems to have no corners. The best vessels take the most time to finish. The greatest sounds cannot be heard and the greatest image has no form. The Tao hides in the unnamed, yet it alone nourishes and completes all things. Maybe that's good for thought, perhaps. No, that's good. This is good. I, 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 I you know, my final thought is simply that, that um, I think that whatever turn was taken after World War II with, with the kind of corporate uh, ruling class control of science, and uh, education um, has resulted in uh, a, an absolute narrowing of, of experience. It is the loss of experience. People don't experience, um, <clears throat> they experience less and less. They dream less, they sleep less. And when they sleep, they dream less and they don't remember their dreams as much. These are all pretty much indisputable facts uh that being the case it is people's lives are are deeply impoverished and i worry about that for my own children the young children i think you know i don't want them to grow up to be one of these like borg people i see around me you know um but i'm not sure how to prevent it all right any final thoughts from anyone else No? Okay. I had a thought. I'll jump in. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll jump in. I was just yeah. saying, okay, so this week in, in the community within these few blocks where I um, exist, there was a house for sale. Someone bought it, a beautiful little home. Um, and in front of this home, it's a little brick home, there's two majestic trees and they're beautiful. 
and they're sort of um two of the most special trees in the neighborhood huge massive weeping pines as, mm. of some kind anyway they're gorgeous everyone knows them they've been there forever and they make the home they make they they make it right it, they're everyone loves them anyway someone bought the house this week and the first thing they did before they moved in they cut down these trees right oh, they're about six, 60 or eight yeah they're 60 to 80 years old and and everyone's sort of talking about it amongst themselves and couldn't believe it and one of one of the neighbors told me a couple of days ago um that they talked to the woman who bought the house who has not yet moved in and she planned and she cut them down so she could make a butterfly garden and I, I just thought, okay, so, you know, I just feel like the world has actually gone, you know, I really appreciate the comments Varun has had in the podcast today. The world actually isn't, you know, this culture is insane, right? Like we live in insanity, like yeah. that's, that's what we're living in. And, and most people don't recognize it but they are insane we are insane right yeah um, like well, we're, in a, we're raced to the bottom we poison our air poison our bodies poison our soil and it's all great and we're all educated and we're insane and yeah. everyone has no problem with any of this you know this this clear-cutting mentality <clears throat> is really um significant and i've run into it up here in norway um <clears throat> there was there are pine trees that grow up and people often just cut them down and it's okay i mean there's no shortage of trees in norway um there's one on the road here that i backed into one day in winter because the car slid on the ice and i broke off the entire top of this little pine and um they were going to cut it down i said no no leave it it'll grow back in some interesting way right um when they were doing some landscaping and so it has it's, it's like my personal little bonsai right it's this completely deformed pine tree now it's all lopsided and beautiful and um but but i notice the tendency is to clear cut that's western instrumental thinking uh projected um out into into the world around that that's what people see as progress cut down the trees you can see more it's progress it's progress rob insanity uh wait thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast uh just one last thought uh this i've seen this insanity in two different flavors into in my country in the u.s and now being here in sweden if you i used to fly back to the u.s back when you could do that and uh you get out of the plane and you you walk through the airport and you see this tvs in there at every gate and it's just it just takes your breath away as you said I mean, it, it's like they turn up the dial of insanity, you know, expressed <laughs> through extreme ranting, incoherent ranting and hating at 11, up, turn it up to 11, right? Uh, on, on CNN or any of those channels, right? In Sweden, it's different. It's a different flavor. It's a different style. The ideas are equally insane and extreme and stupefying and counterproductive. And yet it's presented in the usual, in the standard Swedish tranquil calmness, yeah. the smooth cadence, the and way, everything is fine. Scandinavia is passive aggressive. That's my conclusion. Yeah. They're the most passive aggressive culture in the world, Scandinavians. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, um, 
it's manifests itself in because it's bad form to look angry or make waves or be disruptive here and um so it the the rage below the surface manifests itself in in these quiet uh, you know i won't return your email kind of thing right <laughs> all right um anyway uh thank you johan varun corey hiroyuki and rob i hope you'll all come back we'll do it again um <clears throat> in our little sisyphean endeavor to uh to do something whatever it is all right guys i'll talk to you soon yeah see you later yeah bye. Bye.